0: You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin.
1: I first learned about illustrator and cartoonist Guy Gilchrist when I interviewed Dr. Karen Tsai in episode 120 about how she spearheaded the creation of Monster Dance, a children's book created to help children deal with and understand the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic. Guy is best known as the cartoonist of Jim Henson's Muppets comic strip that was printed worldwide in 660 plus newspapers daily in 80 different languages. Guy spoke with me about his humble beginnings and how he made his childhood dreams of becoming a cartoonist a reality. Guy has had a lead role on the creative team for the Muppet Babies, Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock, and other Henson creations. Throughout the years, Guy has also had his hand in notable cartoons, such as the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Tiny Toons, The Pink Panther, and Disney, among others. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by Natoa, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. Natoa was founded in 1988 and its mission is 1. To evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. 2. To oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. 3. To fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. Four, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. Five, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NADWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Guy. Thank you, Felicia. Oh, it's so wonderful to have you on here. I've been wanting to have you on here for a long time. I got introduced to you through Dr. Karen Tsai, who is involved with the Monster Dance. It's so wonderful to learn about your work. I thought we could start with how you got involved with Monster Dance.
0: She, meaning Karen, Dr. Karen, is a dynamo. Uh, she reached out to me. I did not know her. Uh, She reached out to me during the pandemic, and it was just an incredible energy. What an incredible mutual energy. I had been wondering how it was that I could do something uh, of value while we were in such a crisis, having no idea how to do so, and uh, through social media. Uh, dr Karen wrote to me a cold a cold call basically uh, writing to me we did not know each other saying hi uh, I have a, a charitable group where we are raising money to get PPE uh, for physicians where you know uh you know there are people there are physicians that have no masks have uh, you know no uh No gloves, no nothing uh, during COVID. And, uh, you know, this is a grassroots thing. And would you like to help? And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so we became very fast friends and. Uh, I began by drawing the Muppets and my other characters, the Warner Brothers characters and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Mud Pie and the Dinos and all of the characters I've drawn over the years, uh, wearing masks and just saying things. Uh, and we started posting mm. and uh, and uh, we You know, we we started to have this idea, wouldn't it be great if maybe we did a coloring book or something? Well, like I said, Karen, Felicia, is a dynamo. And without having any experience at all in publishing or anything, she just started reaching out all over the place to publishers. And she found a publisher that was based in Paris and Taiwan. And that was the basis of Monster Dance. She just, you know, kept on going and going and going. And she finally, she found this publisher, Madeline Editions, um, in Paris, who said, well, we would do it, but it's like impossible to do it fast enough. And I said, well... (laughs) not really (laughs) not if I drop everything you know there's an old funny uh, and very true statement uh, of Walt Disney Walt Disney once said you know it's kind of fun to do the impossible and uh, so that's what we did We, we put that we put that book together over the summer got it out and, uh, gosh, what a joy. That was that was how we met.
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I did also speak to Eva, and she said that was, like, record time for uh, publishing a book, for sure. And it was, time was of the essence, um, you know, with COVID. It was the beginning of COVID and all that.
0: It really um, was, and it was wonderful. Yeah where we were talking she you know karen and i originally were saying well maybe we could self-publish a coloring book or something and Mm -hmm. then boy again another dynamo eva um Mm -hmm. you know uh, we would this whole book came together through zoom because we had like designers working in like i don't know colombia portugal uh Eva would be sometimes in Taiwan, sometimes
1: in. Mm. Paris.
0: I didn't even know. I'd be up at four <laughs> right. in the morning. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Sometimes yeah. I would be in Texas or something. Whatever. I, you know, it would be like, can we all get together and it'd be six of us or something on a call, and you know, Karen would have either just gotten off a shift, still be on a shift. It was. Yeah. Crazy. But Mm -hmm. it was really something that I truly believed in, Karen truly believed in, Eva did. Uh, We all basically didn't, we didn't think about money. We Mm -hmm. didn't think about any, we wanted, the only money that we were thinking about was raising money uh, and awareness Mm -hmm. uh, of PPE and empowerment of children. Right. Uh, It was it was just absolutely you know crazy we got Dennis uh Dennis O'Hare great. Yes. he jumped in narrated it uh it was just it was crazy i i reached out to uh the colorist that i was using and and just said you know just please drop everything And I was drawing and drawing and drawing. You know, I just uh, did nothing else for like a month. And we got the book done. It was the fastest thing that I'd ever done. And it was so important. And I'm so grateful that I had an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's so wonderful. Uh, You've had like such an amazing career. I'd like to... Um, talk about that and how you got started like so could you tell me like what was your childhood like and I understand yeah, your mother was quite instrumental in nurturing your artistic talents
0: she was uh my mother uh although she was married uh my birth father was not ever in the picture and so mm-hmm. she was essentially a, a single mother uh and this would be in the late I was born in 1957 Uh, So this is late, late 50s and early 60s. Uh, She eventually married, uh, remarried. Uh, But uh, we were so we were by ourselves when I was very, very little. And she would uh, work wherever she could, uh, being an accountant, a bookkeeper, a waitress, whatever she could do, where she could bring me uh, with her. Uh, because, you know, there was no child care in, in those days unless mm. you know, it was uh, some uh, a grandparent or somebody or an uncle or an aunt. So pretty much every day I would go to work with her. And she would find a corner for me at wherever she was working. And she would open up the newspaper because the newspaper was free. You know, it would be delivered uh, to the st- whatever store or wherever she was working. And she would get paper and pencil because, of course, that's free as well. And she would show me you could draw ovals and turn them into characters like Bugs Bunny and Woody Woodpecker. And uh, she liked cartooning. She liked drawing. And uh, so she passed that along to me. And of course, it was also a way for her not to get fired. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) she'd open up the paper and, and at those in those days, a newspaper, even a A a paper in a small town would have maybe 40 or 50 different comic strips in it. Wow. And uh, uh, so she'd open up the paper and there'd be two full pages of every cartoon character, you know, and she would just say, Mm -hmm. Guy, draw this. Meaning, (laughs) you know, anything to keep me occupied. (laughs) And so that was the beginnings of it. We didn't have a television, my grandmother did, so every once in a while on Saturdays, I would get to watch TV, but during the week, uh, we didn't have a TV at home. Uh, if I was with her at work, she would walk me across the street in this little town. This is gonna sound very boys town, and very 1940s and 50s, and I'm sorry, mm-hmm. people, but this is no, just, no. This, this is the story. So yeah. There, there was an appliance store that was across the street from the diner, And they had television sets in the window. And so she would take me over there and I would watch the Woody Woodpecker show that was created by Walter Lance, who was a very, very famous. He was the most famous animator that there was in the world at that time. And. Uh, she would walk me over and I would stand in front of the appliance store and they would invite me in and I so I could go in and watch it sit on the floor and watch and draw Woody Woodpecker along with Walter Lance when he would show you how to do that and then show his cartoons. And uh, <laughs> so that was like, that was my deal, you know, like I couldn't wait for four o'clock and, and for him to come on. Anyway, when I was 10 years old, Mm-hmm. By then we did have a television and I must have been mm-hmm. home from sick, homesick from school because mm-hmm. I never saw television during the day. But Walter Lance happened to be on a talk show and mm-hmm. I wrote the address down of the talk show. I was 10. I sent a whole bunch of my artwork into Walter Lance in care of this talk show. And Walter Lance wrote me back. Oh, wow. A famous person in the world. And I was a nothing. You know, we were very poor. Mm -hmm. And you know, my mother had been incredibly encouraging to me. But you know, you're ten and you know, what do you know? You know, you know
1: What what were you sending your artwork for him for? Were you asking him for an opinion or or were you applying for a job or what was
0: I kind of wanted to I wanted it? Wow,
1: at ten years old?
0: (laughs) Well, I I had this so I didn't have, you know, the I didn't have really the the ideal childhood. Mm -hmm. And um I, but I had always had in my head, I was going to be a famous cartoonist. I Mm -hmm. just did, you know, every once in a while, something else would flitter by like, oh, I'm going to be play left field for the Red Sox or I'm going to (laughs) be, you know, I'm going to be, you know, one of the Beatles or I'll be one of the Beach Boys. I'll be Brian Wilson or something that would like flitter by, Mm -hmm. but always 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 there was you're going to be a famous cartoonist and so i would study and this was like from the time i i can't even tell you there was never a time so i would always be reading who did everything i wanted to know how i could do this and i would have these crazy schemes where we lived in um in a state called Connecticut, which is mm-hmm. sort of near New York,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, at least it's next to it geographically and uh but we were very far away from it, many hours away, four or five hours away but i I knew that books came from new York, television shows came from hollywood um newspapers came from everywhere um the newspaper comics said New York, the comics, the the cartoons on TV said Hollywood, California. And so I said, I'm gonna get on a train and go to New York and I'm gonna get a job drawing cartoons in the newspaper or in a book or something like that. And this was like immediate. Then I would hear the radio and Let's say that um, some uh, rock and roll stars were coming through on tour and they were Mm -hmm. going in between New York City and Boston and Hartford, Connecticut was right in between. And so in those days, you know, they would play singles on AM radio and they and the people would come in and promote their songs and also promote that they were going to be doing a show, you know, at the Bushnell Auditorium or something. I would hear this and go. They're on a bus. They either are in New York or L.A. If I can ride over to the radio station, I can say that I'll come and work for you. And if you can just take me to L.A. And then I'll go to work for Walter Lance. (laughs) Or I'll go to New York and I'll work for King Features. I was crazy like that. Right. When you're you're a kid um, and you just let your dreams fly. And it's something that we really have to work on as adults to make sure that we don't lose that. Mm. Um, When you let your dreams fly, you have no limits. You're like, because you don't know any better. you just like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And anyway, I didn't get to the radio station to be able to get on the bus with you know, the Crystals or Ronnie and the Raw <laughs> <laughs> um, um But, you know, I dreamt of that. Um, I was like, oh, when are the Beach Boys coming? I want to get a ride out there. You know? <laughs> um, but, but I
1: do understand that you didn't manage to sneak
0: off to New York as a kid, right? I did. So Right, so I couldn't get to the radio station. Uh-huh. So the minute I had the money, uh, so the first time... I took a train in. I uh, went in with a friend of mine that was older, and he had already gone to New York, so we he knew how to do it. So uh, I got permission from my parents that time to go. So, anyways, did they know that when, you're going? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. this was with my friend. We were just okay. going to go for like a couple of days, and oh, okay. because they were going to have a, this brand new thing called a comic convention, a comic uh, book.
1: How old uh, were was, you?
0: Um, about 12 or 13.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Uh, this was like about 1970 or so.
1: Right.
0: And, uh, right around there. Anyway, uh-huh. they were going to have this brand new thing called a comic book convention. Mm-hmm. And, to go. and so he was oh, two years older or something. And my mother said, okay. So we went in. So now I knew how to do it. I knew how to get to know. And I met some of the cartoonists that did the comic books that I loved so much.
1: Oh, that's incredible. Uh,
0: You know, I mean, I met Bob Kane, you know, who created Mm -hmm. uh, Batman. I Mm -hmm. met uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, the original creators Mm -hmm. of Superman. Mm -hmm. I met Stan Lee. Um, And uh, I couldn't believe that, you know, that this was there. So try to keep me away from them. Uh, you know, I um, uh, because at 10, so I told you at, the, at 10, I had written to Walter and he wrote me back. Um, and I couldn't believe that, you know, that the most famous person in the world, as far as I was concerned, wrote me back. And it was this amazing letter. And it's just that it said, dear guy, you have a lot of talent for a 10 year old boy. You certainly try very hard. I truly believe that if you keep on practicing and you never, ever quit. Someday you will be a successful cartoonist. Sincerely, Walter Lance. And I'm like, holy moly!
1: Yeah.
0: I, I mean, it, this was it. I mean, it, this letter. It was. It was like. It was full color. You know, Woody Woodpecker on a um, on a little white steed with a big lance with Walter Lance Productions, Hollywood, California, with sunset wow. on it and everything. Oh my gosh! Oh my <laughs> gosh. And like, you know, this was like. Honestly, it was like the Red Sea parting and saying, here, go right there, you know. And so from that moment on, um, it was just sort of this, my childhood school and everything just became a nuisance. Mm -hmm. And um, at least I was very, I was pretty smart. So I could do my homework pretty quickly. And I had wonderful teachers that understood me and let me do what I was going to do. And I made art a part of my life. And writing a part of my life uh, immediately. And then, yeah, I was sneaking off to New York every chance I get to get knocked over and, you know, kicked in the gut and everything, because of course I stunk. But, (laughs) you know, but like the song says, you know, New York, New York, if you can make it there, you make it anywhere, right? It's up to you, New York, New York. And I knew that that's where it was at. And uh, so I kept on going. And the crazy thing was, Felicia, that by the time I was 16, which is, you know, I was still in high school. Yeah. Um, I got my very first job um, drawing pictures for a coloring book for the Walt Disney Company.
1: How did that in happen? In New York
0: City. In New York City. I was walking down the street because uh, I didn't have money <laughs> for a <animals>, house. <laughs> so I'm walking down the street, and it was my last, it was going to be my last day in New York because I of money. And I had to go home. I already had my ticket, and um, I saw a sign uh, inside this building. Uh, it was a publishing building, and uh, I think it was on Fifth Avenue and uh, and, and I go in and you know it, these are really tall buildings with all these names on you know on a big list. Right. and I see that Western publishing is there, and also, Whitman Publishing is there. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I guess I knew about the building. I didn't go into Western that day, but I knew that Whitman Publishing uh, did Woody Woodpecker coloring books and Disney coloring oh, books. I see. And so I got on the elevator and I went up and there was a man named John Salardo who wound up being a guardian angel in my life later on and probably at that moment. I showed him some drawings that I had done of some Disney characters like Goofy and Pluto. Mm-hmm. And he said, these are pretty good. Hmm. And he gave me a job. Oh, that's uh, drawing, drawing 22 pages of uh, Disney dogs. And wow. that was my very, first, uh, my very first job in New York.
1: That's incredible. Of course, we have to talk about Jim Henson and the Muppets and how you ended up becoming Jim Henson's illustrator. I'm sure you've told this story many times, but my audience may not have heard it.
0: So it goes it goes back to uh, this idea of, you know, going into New York and trying. So I was in uh, I was in a bookstore and I found a book. By Mort Walker, the great Mort Walker, who created Beetle Bailey and High and Uh, and
1: Lowest
0: comic strips. Yes. And it was a book about, ostensibly, how do you do, how does he write jokes and how does he, you know, create comics? And what was his life like being a cartoonist? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, I bought the book. As I'm reading it, it was much more than that. It was... He was talking about his entire life and telling all about this entire group of cartoonists that lived Mm -hmm. in Connecticut and on the Connecticut, New York line that worked in New York and did syndicated Mm -hmm. cartoons and children's books and all of this stuff. And he had started a small museum of cartoon art. Because in America, in the 1970s, you know, cartoons were not considered art in museums. Yes, sure. They were Mm -hmm. around the world, but not in America. Oh. So Mort took a million or so of his own money, he made a museum. Well, when I found out that there was a museum of cartoon art, I was driving down there. Yeah. I was so much that the people that ran the museum thought that I lived in the neighborhood. (laughs) and uh, although I was like an hour and a half away Uh uh, on the poor side of Connecticut this was on the Richie side of uh, Greenwich they would have a program of uh, like have a famous cartoonist or illustrator writer or somebody once a month uh, on a Sunday come and do a talk and uh, every once in a while, whether it was in climate weather or somebody got ill or for whatever reason, that person couldn't be there. And so some other famous cartoonists would get up, well, and and do the chalk talk. Uh, okay. uh, but every once in a while, there'd be nobody to do it. I was there so much. and I said, well, I'll do it. <laughs> and they said, go ahead. <laughs> nobody knew what I did. Oh, or great.
1: Anything.
0: Wow. So I did it. And I would draw the funny animals and stuff that I was doing for Weekly Reader. I, I had a job with Weekly Reader books, doing uh-huh. a comic book uh-huh. uh, of funny animals called Super And I would, so I would draw those characters and I would teach people how to draw, you know, different characters, you know, bunnies and whatever and cats and et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure Mud Pie was in there. And uh, anyway, Mort himself came in one day and he saw me doing one of these talks and he said, you know, you're pretty good at that. You were very entertaining. He says, no one knows who the heck you are (laughs) and no one knows what the heck you do. He says, so who the heck are you and what do you do? Well, I (laughs) run out to my truck and get my comic books Mm -hmm. and bring them in and and show them to Mort. And well, Mort never forgot. And uh, so he remembered that, you know, I drew funny animals. One day he's playing golf with... The head of King Features Syndicate, the biggest syndicated cartoon you know distributor in the world,
1: mm-hmm.
0: playing golf because that's who Mort works
1: with. Yeah. Okay.
0: And uh, Bill Yates, the head of King Features, tells Mort, "Hey, we're in big, big trouble. We've got a development deal for a comic strip based on the Muppet Show, which was the number one property in the entire world, and mm-hmm. uh." And they had tried out a couple of hundred different people and combinations and this and that. And he said, these Henson people are crazy. They, we've got nobody left. They, they, they didn't like anybody. And Mark wow. goes, Mark goes uh, that's a frog and a pig, right? And Bill goes, yeah. <laughs> he goes, well, there's this hippie kid, hangs out at the museum. He draws funny animals. Why don't you call him? <laughs> and that's how I got the audition. So Bill called me. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was a huge Muppets fan. So I kind of just measured the, you know, I measured the the the, the size of the strips in the paper. And I had been mailing in ideas for comics mm-hmm. um, for a couple of years to King Features and United Features and oh, everything, okay. you know, mm-hmm. and I. You know, I and I would every once in a while, you know, get a like a form letter back saying, well, you know, no, okay, try again, you know, something like that. Okay. Anyway, uh, so uh, I didn't even believe it was Bill Yates when he called. I like, uh-huh. I thought I was getting, I thought that a, a practical joke was being played on me because how is yeah. like, a famous guy in comics calling, uh-huh. right? But anyway, <laughs> it really was Bill. And, uh, so I did the best I could. I, you know, did about a week's worth of strips and a couple of Sunday pages, did the best I could. I knew the Muppets very, very well. I was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, I brought him into New York and Bill liked them. And he said, well, I'll send them over to Hanson Associates and see what they think. But um, do you have any more? And I said, Um, Yes, you know, I had other jokes I had written that I hadn't drawn up, so I said, okay. "Yes, so I got on the train, went home, and then I stayed up for like two straight days, and I drew even more wow. I brought and then I brought them in uh, I brought them to a courier service, and cause mm-hmm. I thought that'd be super fancy for New York, you know <laughs> <laughs> like I wanted to act like rich and fancy. I sent them in, and Bill called said, "Wow, this is a lot." This is great, and he sent it over to Henson. Since he was so enthusiastic, and they didn't tell me I didn't have the job, I decided to pretend I had it. So you kept drawing. So I kept on drawing, and you know what? I drew for 10 months, almost a full year.
1: Really? And you're writing all the stories and everything, yeah. too. Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, I had my brother, Brad. My, my brother, Brad, was helping me on the Super Colonel comics and okay. he was a Muppets fan, too. So, oh, OK, Hey, you know, you write some of the jokes. So he would write some of the jokes, too. And um, but, yeah, so I kept on drawing and drawing and drawing. And basically, I just decided that I was going to keep on doing it because the day that I quit, would be the day that they said we found somebody else. That that was just my feeling. This was just something that, again, like you know, how I told you, like I just decided I was going to be, you know, a cartoon. Yeah. yeah. And, so I just sort of decided, I that I was going to be the Muppets guy until they told me I wasn't going <laughs> to. Anyway, Were they
1: at least sending you any checks at this point? <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: Nothing. Wow, really, guy? You're doing this for ten months? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, but remember, I was, yeah, but I was making good money on the comic, You're on the Yeah, comic you're book, you were know. doing other things, sure. Yeah, I was doing other okay. stuff. But, yeah. like, and, and, but at, at, actually, like, after a couple of months, Bill said, you know, I can't pay you. And I said, well, I, I, I understand. And wow. then after another month or something, he said, you know, all right, I got them to cut you a check for 500 bucks, but that's all I could get out of them. And I went, like, <laughs> Gee, that's really nice, Mister Yates. Thank you. And he uh-huh. gave me a check for five hundred dollars. Wow. Okay. And But I just kept on going, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because I was just like, eh, if I don't get it, I don't get it. But hey, mm-hmm. who knows? And yeah. maybe they'll give me a job doing something else, or maybe King Features will yeah. give me a job doing something yeah. else, or whatever. Yeah. Because I was becoming very good friends with all of these people. But yes. Anyway, and then the phone rang one day, and it was Jerry Jewell, and he's the head writer uh, of The Muppet Show. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And he calls me, and it's late in the day because he was calling from L.A., and that was, you know, and I was on the East Coast, he was on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And I didn't believe it was Jerry Jewell, and he just started talking about a gonzo joke. Really? Really? This is like Jerry Jewell, like (laughs) J-U-L, like at the end of the show in the crawl where it says written by. And he goes, yeah, you rube. Hey, now I'm a big (laughs) Hollywood, you know, I'm a big Hollywood writer. I don't have time for this. I have premieres and important things to go to. And he's (laughs) he's putting me on like immediately being hysterically funny, going like, Mm -hmm. I don't have time for this young man, you know, (laughs) and and I'm sitting there in my little studio in my garage in Unionville, Connecticut, all Mm -hmm. by myself. And my dreams have just come true times 2000. And I'm talking to, you know, the man that just made my dreams come true. I have to pretend to be an adult. Like this kind of thing happens every day. And I stayed on the phone with Jerry for like uh, an hour, you know, and I became uh, the artist and writer of The Muppets. And, so that's uh, the, the phone Muppets, call
1: when he told you you actually had the job.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, he, he, he was laughing because he said, like, he said, you've had the job for a month. He said, didn't Michael call you? Didn't Jane call you? <laughs> wow. No sir, sir, sir. Well, you know, you've got the job and you've had it for a month. So let's get cracking. Anyway, so that started it. And that was in uh, that was very, very early in 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, 81, 1981. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in September of 1981, uh, the strip came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in every country that had a free press in the world. It's the only comic strip that ever existed that the same joke that you read in English and then in the daily news in New York City or the L.A. Times in L.A., you would also read it um, in all of the Nordic Languages you would also through Scandinavia in every Asian language in every Hispan every language in the world eighty different languages the same joke uh, would be in the paper uh, wherever you were in the world and it's the only one that there ever was like that because Jim wanted the Muppets to belong to the world. See yeah. every other every other comic like mm-hmm. let's say that you're in Taiwan, right? Yeah, and you're reading. Um, peanuts. So let's say that Charles Schultz wrote a joke today, okay, peanuts. And uh, so it would uh, immediately get translated into Spanish and French. And then about two weeks after it appeared in the newspaper uh, in English, then it would appear in a rerun of Sp- in Spanish and French. Every other place in the world, it would get packaged up with a month's worth of strips and mailed you know or these days emailed to different newspapers around the world and they'll get translated and printed in every different language depending on you know when they feel like it right but jim wanted it to be different than that he wanted everyone to read the same thing every day so we would he would we would realize that we're all You know, the human race and we're all together. He wanted the Muppets to belong to the world. And so even though there were no computers or any way to get this stuff immediately all around the world, it was up to me to figure out a way which meant just work about a year in advance. And so I worked my tail off and we got it all over the world and it debuted uh, in, I think, six hundred and sixty papers uh, the first week or so. hmm And, So uh, that
1: means that everybody in the whole world would be reading the same comic but in their language oh, that yeah. week. Wow. That's right.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Every single day.
1: And now for a short break. Hello, listeners. We're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content under 20 minutes long. And we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes what would you like to hear more of or less of? Email us at podcast at We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lynn, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stephen Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lynn, author of Death Doesn't Forget. And Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. And when did you actually get to first meet Jim?
0: So um, so I had the job. Um, I had the job. I hadn't signed the contract yet, um, but I had the job. But I didn't really feel like I had it because I hadn't met Jim yet. But I was, you know, but of course I was drawing it. They brought me to New York. It would have been in like April or May of uh, of 81. And uh, so I'd had the job for like a couple of months. Jim was over in London during that time. So he was working on, I think he was working on two movies. He was making Great Muppet Caper. And also beginning Dark Crystal. Jim then flew on the Concord uh, to New York um, and we met on a Saturday. Now, my meeting with Jim was supposed to happen at around like 10.30, 11 o'clock. I was a little anxious. It was like 6.30 in the morning. I'm already there.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> at wow. the office. Jim had a brownstone, beautiful brownstone building at 117 East 69th Street. The Muppet workshop was in the basement. Um then there was the first floor that had like a uh there was a conference room in the first floor where the receptionary mm-hmm. stuff was. Mm-hmm. And and then there was this um spiral staircase that went up the middle oh, of the beautiful and it and it had the yellow brick road like sewn into a burgundy uh, carpet going all the way. Oh, upside. wow, really? Yeah. Huh. And anyway, and so the art department was on the second floor, and then Jim's office was on the third floor. So I I got there very, very early. I didn't know what else to do with myself. And I'm sitting there along with my brother. We're in the uh, conference room, and I'm just drawing, you know, because I'm nervous. Yeah. At the door, at about 8 o'clock in the morning, the door opens. There's Jim. He looks in, and he goes, oh, you must be Donnie. You're early. (laughs) And all I say and I see this glow around him, you know. And he goes, Oh, I'll see you in a little while, right? And he goes, bopping up the stairs. And I look (laughs) at my brother going, like like like, you know, like (laughs) and you know, oh my ah anyway.
1: So then
0: you're dying. Right. For like yeah. two hours dying until, yeah. you know, get to meet him. And mm-hmm. anyway, so up finally the time comes and I go upstairs and we Brad and I go up together and we talk to him first for a little bit. And then Brad mm-hmm. leaves. So he says to me, he says, you know, uh, some of your drawings are really, really good mm-hmm. and some of them are great, but we don't want really, really good and we don't want great we want wonderful. And I'm looking at him going like, how do I draw wonderful? I'm thinking in my mm, brain. I'm, yeah. going, yes. I'm going, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm mm. going, like, what does this mean? And Jim lifted his right arm, showed me his hand, and introduced me to Kermit. Now, Kermit uh-huh. was not his hand. Okay? It was just Jim's hand. He started talking like Kermit. And behaving like Kermit with just Mm -hmm. his hand. Mm -hmm. And then he drew his hand on a piece of paper. And then he drew the two uh, halves of a ping pong ball on the knuckles of the hand that he had drawn on the piece of paper. He handed it to me. And then he started talking again. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I get it now. I had been thinking, now remember, so I come from like this, this world of Walter Lance, Walt Disney, Warner Brothers, right? Right. Okay. Now, what, what do all of those characters have in common? Okay. They're not, they're not really alive. We're pretending they're alive.
1: They're They're two dimensional.
0: Correct. Now, what am I doing with the Muppets? They're three-dimensional characters. They're alive. Mm. Turn them into cartoons. I have to put life into them because they are alive. When Jim's showing me this is Kermit, this Mm. is his life Mm -hmm. going through this puppet. And Mm. I have to find a way to convey that. And that was what he showed me by doing Mm -hmm. what he showed me. And that began the journey of uh, my really learning uh, my craft, which Mm. was to be able to put life into every line that I drew and personality into everything that I did. And that is how Jim really changed my life.
1: Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Can you tell me about the iconic photo of you with the Muppets at the White House in 1984? I've seen that photo on Metal and Edition's website. What was it like visiting the White House and why didn't Jim go?
0: Okay, well, it was nerve wracking and I was, you know, very, very nervous, you know, going to the White House. And uh, the reason Jim did not go, so. Uh, Jim got a call, or Jim's you know, office got a call from the White House in 1983, and they were saying that uh, now the president of the United States then was President Reagan, and vice president was George Bush. Uh, they got a call saying that uh, the Muppets comic strip in the newspaper was President Reagan's favorite comic, and that he read it every morning. And uh, would Jim come to the White House? You know, that President Reagan loved the Muppets. And so Jim, being Jim, said, oh, but that's Guy. The comic strip is Guy. Ask Guy. He'll really like that. And because Jim was like that, instead of taking the honor for himself, I was invited Uh, to the Easter at the White House, 1984. And then I was guest of honor. Uh, I uh, was asked to draw the commemorative program uh, for that day. And the entire day was themed uh, the Rainbow Connection. Uh, And so I did the program cover and uh, did a bunch of artwork for it. And there I was, uh, The the picture that you see is outside the White House, but most of the time I was inside the White House and I was, you know, signing these programs. And uh, along with the Washington Redskins, the Baltimore Orioles, all of the Olympic champions. And it was just uh, amazing. Uh, And uh, all of this because Jim said, oh, but the comic strip is guy, send guy. He'll really like that.
1: But President Reagan ended up not being able to be there.
0: So my host at the White House was then Vice President Bush, uh, you know, uh, Bush 41.
1: Uh-huh. And,
0: and I have to tell you that President Bush was so incredibly gracious and barbara they were so nice to me and i was so nervous you know I was so young and so afraid to mess up and it was a you know this is a, a, an american dream come true you know being guest of honor at the white house And anyway, he was so incredibly kind and very, very gracious. He knew I was from Connecticut. He knew I loved baseball. So he taught baseball, told me he went to Yale, you know, played baseball for Yale and just did everything he could to make me feel comfortable. It began a lifelong friendship with President Bush that lasted, of course, until he he passed away and with Barbara as well. And uh uh, so I really owe it, you know, all to Jim, in regard to the uh, the Smithsonian. So a couple weeks later, I'm home, and uh, I get a letter in the mail, and it was from Nancy Reagan, and it said that we have taken all of your artwork that you provided us, uh, and it's now enshrined in the Smithsonian. So you are now a national treasure. <laughs>
1: like, wow, wow, that's such an
0: honor. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. You know, um, so yeah, so all of that happened, and you uh, know, and, uh, and it, it, it seems like a lifetime ago, uh, but uh, but gosh, you know, certainly, you know, President Bush was incredibly kind to me. And, uh, you know, and and that that was an incredible gift to get to know him, you know, for all of those years and for Jim to have done what he did. uh, None of this would have ever happened.
1: Right. Do you think that's one of the highlights of your career?
0: Oh, without a doubt. Uh, There have been a lot of times when I just kind of looked around at where I was and said, seriously like is this really happening <laughs> uh, that was that was truly one of the biggest uh, i don't know if it could get any bigger you know i uh, being uh, you know you and i have talked on uh you know on this interview uh about you know my you know humble beginning and uh and how poor we were and everything and of course my mother was very very proud of me and uh it was an incredible honor uh, to represent the Muppets at the White House.
1: Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I'm just curious, I know you often get the question about what was, what's your favorite character to draw, but I'm actually curious, like, of all the Muppets, since you're so familiar with them, which one of them do you identify with the most, or which Muppet do you think you would be if you were to pick one? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, if I was going to be any Muppet, it would be Rolf 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 the dog, you know uh because uh you know he's old showbiz, and that's kind of me, um you know as I've gotten you know as I've gotten older uh uh you know you have all of these memories and everything, and that was you know and Rolf is the very first famous Muppet you know he was. Uh, he was created you know for a dog food commercial, uh, uh, which was very, very popular and uh, you know Jim made a lot of commercials early on and uh, then Rolf uh, was uh, brought onto a television show called the Jimmy Dean show. you know the Jimmy Dean pork sausage uh, commercial Oh yes well, well, Jimmy Dean was a very famous singer a country singer, and he had a television show for three years uh, in the mid-60s. And Jim's very first famous Muppet was Rolf. And I, when I think of Jim, I not only think of Kermit, but I also think of Rolf, uh, because a lot of Rolf's uh, philosophy and his sort of easygoing nature – and how he, you know, just kind of, you know, hangs out and nothing really, you know, flusters him very much. and He's sort of, you know, a Renaissance dog. You know, well, I'm not really a doctor, but I play one on TV. <laughs> um, you know, and then I'll, then I'll go over to the piano and, uh, you know, and tell some jokes and stuff and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and sing a song that'll really touch your heart. Um, so him being the The first famous Muppet and the one that uh, that I first connected Jim Henson to, Uh, you know, I always had a I always had a real love for Rolf and I would, you know, put him in everything that I could whenever I could. And uh, with Muppet babies, you know, there was a baby Rolf and Rolf was baby Rolf was very prominent. And then, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I, I probably went from being, you know, animal. (laughs) <laughs> as a, you know, as a teenager to, uh, you know, to Rolf, you know, now that I'm a little bit older, you know, if people saw the Jason Siegel movie that you know, came out a couple of years ago, the Muppet movie that came out a couple of years ago, you know, Rolf was all retired and, you know, Kermit pulls up with uh, the rest of the gang and Rolf's on the hammock, you know, in the hammock in the front yard and you know i'm I'm all good no you know hey no i'm I'm retired uh living the good life and then you know he's told that they're, you know that they're going to go do a show and everything he's got his bag packed and off he goes and i (laughs) oh well i just happen to have this and uh you know he picks up his luggage and off he goes and i kind of think of that uh that's kind of my personality these days you know going on the road doing the touring and everything you know oh i'm not really retired i've i've got my bag right here let's go draw some pictures you know
1: (laughs) i also remember seeing you doing a lot of facebook lives when we were in the middle of the pandemic because we weren't able to meet in person and you were doing all these wonderful facebook lives doing your illustrating and your singing and all that Of course, we can't capture or showcase Guy's talent here on the podcast, and so I want all of my listeners to know that Guy has agreed to do a special live online event to help raise some money for Talking Taiwan on November 5th. If you'd like to meet Guy online and see him doing some live drawing, just make a donation to Talking Taiwan's GoFundMe campaign. We'll be sharing more information about the fun things planned for this event on our website for this episode and in the coming weeks. It's been like now we're sort of back to normal, and I know that you're going to comic cons all over the country. How has that been?
0: Uh, it's been a blast. Um, it's the uh, really and truly. I missed it. Uh, I missed it a lot. You know the 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 thing that. Uh, the thing that a lot of folks don't realize is that, um, you know, when you are a cartoonist and you're, you're you know, in production all the time, uh, it's a very solitary thing. And even though, you know, I get fan mail and that kind of stuff, it's and sometimes, you you know, of course, you're working with a team on things. It's still a solitary thing. It's you in the paper. And uh, the funny thing is with the Muppets and all the uh, Warner Brothers characters I and mean, all these characters I've been doing over the 40 some odd years, um, you guys all grew up and I was over here at the board. <laughs> Every <week laughs> I would do a book tour or whatever or whatever. And I, you know, and I would, and I'd do a lot of uh, do some public speaking and stuff. But uh, but going to the cons is such a gas for me. It's like it is such a trip. Because I get to meet everybody one on one, and there's like three generations now. And when we got cut off um, during the pandemic, you know, that was the reason I was doing this Facebook Lives was to say hi, you know, to everybody, because I'd sort of gotten used to it. And I'd yeah. been doing cons for a couple of years. Now that we're back at it, the attendance at Comic Cons across the country and there's not been one single exception to this has been through the roof. Um, I think that the, that people have really missed it, you know, really missed coming out. And even people that have not been to a comic con, didn't know what a comic con was. Uh, they, you know, might not realize, you know, what a kind of a pop culture event it is, uh, and that there are many different kinds of comic cons and pop culture cons. Um, I'm meeting more people that have never been to one funny. You know, when I was a kid, you know, Halloween was the only time you dressed up. Now, every weekend I'm at a comic con, everybody's dressed up. It's like, Halloween. (laughs) and everybody, you know, and and you don't have to worry. A lot of people, they think like, Oh, I don't want to get dressed up. Anybody's anything. You go to the con, you're going to find a fandom that you like. And, You know, everybody doesn't dress up and uh, there's it's as diverse as the world. And the nice thing, too, about Comic-Cons, it's like the Muppet universe. Everybody Mm -hmm, mm belongs. You know, that's the thing about, you know, that's the thing that I I love about, you know, representing Jim and sort of Mm -hmm. being a surrogate for Jim Mm -hmm. and for, you know, everyone that I worked with at the Muppets. Uh, Because really, it's only like Steve Whitmire and myself, Bill Diamond. It's about the only guys that worked with Jim um, that are, you know, uh, around for folks to meet and uh, to chat with and talk about the old days. Uh, And uh, so I realized that. Uh, you know, I'm a surrogate for all of that when people tell me their amazing stories and heartwarming stories and lovely stories and joyful and silly stories, too. Um, all kinds of stories about, you know, the Muppets and then the different other characters that I've drawn over the years. Um, I love, 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 uh, you know, getting together with, you know, with you guys and, you know, one on one and doing the panels and all of that. And, uh Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, you know, if you haven't been to a con and anybody that's listening, if you haven't been to a con, go to a con. You'll have a lot mm-hmm. of fun. You're mm-hmm. going to find something that you like. You're going to be walking around going, well, this isn't for me. Oh, look, G.I. Joe. Or, oh, look, hello. <laughs> There's TV. something
1: for everybody I, for sure. Like, yeah. Oh,
0: my gosh, look, a bewitched glass. <laughs> you know, whatever your thing is, you're going to, you know, you know, you know, you don't have to be, you know, dressed up like Star Trek, Star Wars or or Doctor Who, you know. But if you are, well, that's the place to go. <laughs>
1: yeah. And um, you kind of mentioned you kind of talked about this a little bit. But what advice would you have for someone who wants to be an illustrator or someone who's struggling um, as an illustrator?
0: Um, well, OK, a couple of things. Okay, so um, every look, everybody has their own road. So but um, if you're struggling money wise as an illustrator, it means that you're not promoting yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're struggling as an illustrator because you're not getting any better um, or you're bored or you feel that you've plateaued, well, then. What's this saying to you? What this is say, what what this would say to me is that you need to get better. You need to go, mm-hmm. you need to find, okay, and get better both in brain and in art. Okay, by brain I mean and psychologically, you know, if you're blocked somehow and you're not getting any better, well then what you need to do is you need to find some artists that are better than you. You know, go to the museum, go wherever you need to go to get inspired,
1: mm-hmm.
0: then keep that inspiration going and don't block it. You know, you know, for me, for instance, like, you know, if I'm getting bored at something, I will look at something completely different than the stuff that I do. Let's say Mayan ruins. OK. Mm-hmm. Or or some, you know, like, you know, some Peruvian, you know, uh, 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 hieroglyphics, okay, then mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the term would be. <laughs> but pictures, you know, but pictures, right? right? You know, art. Something completely different. Something totally, completely different. Yeah. And, then, or, and then I'm there. You know, for me, a lot of times, picking up the guitar and writing a song or just playing a cover, you know, just playing some oldies and mm-hmm. everything and then coming back to the board will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, just, uh Uh, you know, uh, having a friend over doing some life drawing or going online, you know, finding pictures and drawing online, Um, Mm -hmm. whatever it is to get yourself out of the funk, get over the hump and get into it again. The other thing is, is so you have to constantly be getting better, 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 better. And if you're really having troubles, you know, then find other ways to get your mind out of You know, the dumpster fire that's at your board, your drawing board, go Mm -hmm. do something else, then come back to your drawing board Mm -hmm. and it'll be lit up again in a a good way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, just get away from it for a little while. Now, if you're struggling because you're not making it, then you need to look at what are you doing? Does anyone know that you're doing it? And um Uh, Think of yourself, if, if you are a professional artist, writer, or whatever you are, then think of that first word, professional. What does that mean? That means you get paid. That means it's your job. That means that you treat it like a job and I want you to think about and so you're your own company so think about companies how do you know about a company they have commercials they promote themselves they market themselves so if you're not marketing yourself you're not promoting yourself then why do you think you're not making any money
1: right that's a huge challenge that's a huge challenge for people because um, you know a lot of artists have a hard time with that part the marketing and the promotion for sure
0: yeah but then, then don't do it And don't gripe about it. Um, You know, you it's something that you need to do. Um, You know, now, if you're an artist and because if you've decided you're an artist and you're trying to make it as a professional on your own, then you've just said that you're on your own. So you're going to promote and market now. You know, there are agents and this and that. um, But you can be your own agent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, you know, I have been my own agent for the most part my entire life and Mm -hmm. one of the things that i tell every single person when they come up to me at a comic con and this is how i'm going to treat this question i'm going to say look how many hours a week are you drawing and they'll say you know however many it is i'll go okay i want to give you a challenge i want you to number one sit down and write down okay you want to be famous You want your artwork to sell. I want you to make a list of, in your dreams, 20 companies or people or whatever that you would like to work for. Okay? Disney, Universal, Warner Brothers, Sony, whatever it is, make a list. Okay? Don't edit yourself. Write down who would you like to work for. Okay? Who would you like, who has the biggest checks? to give you okay Mm -hmm. good now go to another piece of paper and write down 20 ways that your art could be famous Mm -hmm. without thinking anything okay like what okay without putting any stops on anything how could you become famous in like one day I'll give you an I'll give you an example. I'm just going to make junk up right now. Here I go. Okay. So, <laughs> okay here, no, honestly, this is okay. Here I go because I do this all the time. Okay. Well, okay. This podcast that you and I are on, okay, could all of a sudden be seen by 50 million people. Um, I could go on Jimmy Fallon tonight. Um, uh, they could have a per. I could be in a parade in New York City. I could go on Good Morning America. Um, uh, I could have an announcement with my book in it before the biggest Marvel movie this weekend. So I just made a list of stuff. I don't know if any of this exists. Okay. But I do know that. Okay. So I just, so I just did, I made this list. Okay. So I have these lists. Okay. Um, uh, television, this, that parades that I look at all these things. Okay, these are all ways that you know that that stuff gets promoted because that just came into your brain. Okay? So now you start sending your artwork and the ideas and your book, your product, your whatever, to every talk show, to every this and to every that. And if you do that for three months, Because you're going to run out of stuff. Right. So you got Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel and whoever. whoever, whoever. Now, you know, now you're also when you're making your list, what else are you doing? You're sending it out to YouTubers, to podcasters, to this, to that, to that. Right. When Mm -hmm. you're when you let's say that you want to work for Golden Books, Western Publishing. Well, Once you send your stuff out to Western Publishing and every single person on the Western Publishing email that you can, that is paying attention to what you're doing, what are you going to do next? You're going to go down the list of the next 20 publishers that are like them, and you're going to send out to them. If you do these things for three months, come back and tell me how you're doing. Right. I'll bet you you're in a different place. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And if you're struggling artistically, if you do what I'm saying about, you know, checking out some other stuff, finding people that are better than you, going and finding out who they know and who they're studying, and then you go and study that stuff, come back in three months and tell me how you're doing. You mm-hmm. don't need a school. The school is your brain.
1: Right.
0: Don't make excuses, make lists, and mm-hmm. then do, do them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Glad to throw this out there because every time I do a little motivation, it motivates me.
1: People could learn from this regardless of what their profession is, especially if people are um, trying to start something on their own and they don't have to be an illustrator or a writer.
0: And not everyone, honestly, Felicia, you know, not everyone is an entrepreneur, you know. Yes, yeah,
1: so not- that's another thing. Sure.
0: You know, you know, some people are team players and, you know, and some people, you know, and and that's the, the wonderful thing. You yeah. know, we all, have, we all have incredible gifts. We need to discover these gifts and realize also that new gifts reveal themselves throughout mm-hmm. our lives, you know, yeah, for us to right. find. Yeah.
1: yeah, and I like to say, you know, we're not all the same. That's what makes the world go round, right? Because we don't all have the same talents or interests or drives or things that we want to do in life or skills or abilities.
0: We really need to celebrate each other and, uh, and, and because we're, we complement each other so well, mm-hmm. all, of mm-hmm. all of us in the world.
1: Well, God, I want to thank you so much for your time, and um, I wonder if you want to share anything that we haven't talked about, like anything that you're working on currently or any upcoming projects.
0: Well, I would just like to—I would like to share that uh, that we've really got a very cool website, and you know, you've talked about the social and everything already. Um, but you know, definitely check out the website. It's a Guy production. Uh, dot com and um, and uh, yeah and register over there because we are doing a brand new thing we just started in September um, doing uh, just an e blast uh, once a month to everybody and just sort of you know uh, after after getting several letters saying like hi when are you coming to San Antonio and I'm like I was just in San Antonio last week. Oh. <laughs> You know, like, do you ever go to the website? Do you ever like look at my social, da, 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 you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, oh, you know, oh, when's your book coming out? Like, uh, it's sold out. It's like we <laughs> it was last oh, year. Wow. I was like, yeah. So I was like, so I said, well, you know, um, I'm going to be I won't pester people, but I'm going to send a letter out once a month and say hi to everybody. Let you know where I am and give you links to all of our stuff. And um, and also one of the fun things is that we just pick somebody randomly um, and it's incredibly random how we do it. Um, So we just pick somebody randomly off the list and then they get a piece of original art from me. um,
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: If you're on the list, you know, it's like somebody Mm -hmm. got a gun last month and somebody's getting sweetums this month. And anyway, and, you know, or it can be, you know, a signed book or whatever and whatever and whatever. And um, but. Uh, So go over there and register for that. And 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 uh, also you'll see a list of, you know, the places that I'm going to be and uh, and, you know, in any, you know, future, you know, talks that I'm going to be giving online and all that other kind of stuff. You know, let's all be connected because it's it's so cool when we are and, uh, you know, we, we have so many wonderful things that we all you know, can bring to the table. I love hearing from everybody. And, uh, uh, I'm so glad that we're reconnecting now, you know, online and yes, on the road in every which way, you know, it's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. You know, boy, didn't we miss it?
1: Wow. And where can people find you if they want to know more about you?
0: Uh, besides you your look, website? Yeah. Uh, is, so guy F as in Francis, uh, Gilcrest on Instagram. And then I'm also on, uh, there's Twitter and there's TikTok and there's everything. There's, uh,
1: okay.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And all, by the way, and all of those links uh, are on the website as well. So if, okay. you, go,
1: yes. if, you, if yes. you don't know it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I've been around for so long. If you just type my name into your yeah. search, yeah. stuff starts coming up. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's not it's too like, hard to oh find my you. gosh, she's
1: still <laughs> alive.
0: Oh my gosh, she's still alive. That's
1: not a dirt nap yet. <laughs> uh, well, thank well, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much, Guy. It was such a pleasure speaking to you, and we'll be in touch again um, for November. Take care. Yeah,
0: looking forward to that. Thanks, Felicia.
1: I've been speaking with illustrator and cartoonist Guy Gilchrist, best known as the cartoonist of Jim Henson's Muppets strip. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATO, The North America Taiwanese Women's Association, was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NAATWA visit their website www.natwa.com Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin.
0: Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.